Good evening. Good to be together this evening, which will place the emphasis on evening because the first Sunday night service after the time change always feels a little bit like midnight. I don't know if you feel that way, which we have an example in the book of Acts of Paul preaching till midnight. So if we combine those two ideas, that might be a little bit dangerous tonight. Uh, but we're going to be in the book of First Thessalonians. We're going to continue our study of this letter that Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to get it out and follow along with me. We're going to be studying in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 17 through chapter 3 and verse number 5. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 17 through chapter 3 and verse 5. There's a man by the name of Frank Reed who was a prisoner in the country of Lebanon from 1986 till 1990. Throughout those four years, he experienced a lot of difficulty in being a prisoner, as you can imagine. For months at a time, he'd be put in darkness, he'd be blindfolded, he'd be chained to a wall, he'd go several months without any human interaction, nobody to talk to him and nobody to listen to him, just alone with his thoughts. Throughout all of that suffering, Frank Reed mentions in an interview that the worst part of that suffering was the fact that nobody cared about him. Here's what he has to say in that interview. He said, nothing I did mattered to anyone. I began to realize how withering it is to exist with not a single expression of caring around me. I learned one overriding fact. Caring is a powerful force. If no one cares, you are truly alone. That's true, isn't it? As individuals, as human beings, we all need people who are going to care about us. We all need people who are going to love us. We all need people who are going to support us. Caring is a powerful source. And if we don't have it in our lives, then we are truly alone. The Bible talks about a place where people are able to experience love and care unconditionally. For instance, you go to 1 Peter 1, verses 22 and 23, and the Bible talks about a place where people love one another in a way that is sincere, in a way that is earnest or zealous, in a way that is pure. It's the kind of love that exists between family members. Peter calls it a brotherly love. There's a place in John chapter 13 and verse 34 where people love one another just like Jesus loves them. There's a place in 1 John 3, verses 16 and 17 where people love one another so much that they're willing to lay down their lives for one another. People love one another so much that when they see one another in need, they're willing to give up their own resources in order to help, in order to come to that person's aid. There's a place that the Bible talks about in Galatians 6 and verse 2 where burdens are bared. There's a place that the Scriptures talk about in James 5 and verse 16 where sins are confessed. There's a place in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 where honor is shown. Do you know where that place is? It's the church of our Lord. It's the body of Christ. It's seen in the relationships that we share with one another. As we look at this passage tonight in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 17 through chapter 3, in verse 5, I believe Paul presents to us the idea that we should look at one another to say, I could not care more. Maybe you've heard somebody use the phrase, I couldn't care less. 
Have you heard that before? Oh, I couldn't care less about that situation. I couldn't care less about that game. I couldn't care less about how that turns out. As Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we look at one another not to say, I could not care less, but to say, I could not care more. I believe that's what Paul is doing to the Thessalonians. When you look in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 17 through chapter 3 and verse 5, he's looking at them to say, I could not care more about you. I could not care more about the relationship that we share, the faith that you're placing in Jesus. And he's going to talk to them about why he could not care more. So as we walk through this passage, let's think about our relationships with one another. Let's think about how we can deepen our care and love for one another as members of the church of our Lord. Number one, if we're going to have the kind of care that Paul talks about in this passage, then we have to desire to be together. We have to want to be together. Notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 17, Paul talks about him, Silvanus, and Timothy being torn away from the church in Thessalonica. They, did not, they were not separated from the church at Thessalonica by their own choosing. They were separated forcefully. Which that's what you find when you go to the testimony of the book of Acts. You can read about Paul in the, in the city of Thessalonica in the first ten verses of that chapter. You come to verse number ten because of the Jews uprising in that city. The Bible says that Paul and Silas were sent away by night to Berea. As Paul comments on that, he says, we were torn away from you. That word for torn away, it literally means to make someone an orphan. Paul has used the parental metaphor as we've been studying in this chapter together. For instance, remind, remind yourself of 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 17, where Paul compares himself to a nursing mother. Or 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 11, where he compares himself to an encouraging father. He continues that parental metaphor into chapter 2 and verse 17 to talk about being torn away from the Thessalonians. Just like parents are sometimes torn away from children and those children become orphans, Paul says we were torn away not by our own choice from the Christians who were located in Thessalonica. As Paul was torn away from them, did he want to go back to them? He certainly did. You look in verse 17. He says that we endeavored the more eagerly to see you face to face. He says in verse number 18 that they tried to come to them again and again and again. But Satan hindered them, we find in this passage. We don't know exactly what that looked like. Paul doesn't flesh that out for us. In some way, Satan hindered Paul from going back to the city of Thessalonica. But he didn't go. It wasn't for a lack of trying. It wasn't for a lack of effort. He wanted eagerly to go back to Thessalonica. He tried again and again to go back to the city, but was hindered by who he's going to call later in this passage, the tempter. So you ask the question, why? Why did Paul again and again try to go back to Thessalonica? After being torn away from them, in verse 17, why did he endeavor the more eagerly to see them face to face? It's because of this first idea that you see up on the screen. He had a desire to be with them. He wanted to be with them. When you look in 17, he says, even though we were separated in person, we were not separated in heart. In other words, we continued to love one another. We continued to care about one another. He says, with great desire at the end of 17, we wanted to see you face to face. In verse 18, we wanted to come to you again and again. 
Paul's constantly trying to go back to the city at Thessalonica because he had a great desire to be with them. He had a great desire to be with them because he cared about them. If we're going to have the kind of care that Paul talks about in this passage, then we have to have a desire to be together. It makes me think about my first couple of years at Freed Hardman University. I was in college in West Tennessee, in Henderson, Tennessee, while Leslie, we were dating at the time, she was, I think it says two hours and 32 minutes away in Mountain Juliet. Every single weekend, if I didn't have a track meet, if I didn't have a cross-country meet on that weekend, I would make that two and a half hour drive back to Mountain Juliet just to turn around and come back to Freed Hardman the next day. It wasn't because I had to. It was because I wanted to. When I left Mountain Juliet to go back to Freed Hardman, I didn't ask Leslie the question, so when's the next time I'm going to have to do this? You know, when's the next time that I, I'm just going to have to make this drive? When's the next time that I'm obligated to do this? It wasn't something that I was obligated to do. It's something I wanted to do because I wanted to spend time with her. What about us? What about our relationships with one another? Do we have a desire to be together as brothers and sisters in Christ? Because Satan's going to try to step in the way. He did it with the Apostle Paul, we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and he's going to try to do that with us. Satan is going to try to hinder us from being together. Do we have a desire that is seeking to overcome that? Oftentimes when we think about the times when we're together as the body of Christ, we can get to asking ourselves, do I have to go to this? Do I have to go to this Bible study? Am I obligated to go to this fellowship event? Do I have to be involved in this? And I want to suggest to you tonight that that's the wrong question. That's not the track. That's not the road that we should be thinking down. It's not a matter of what I have to do. It's a matter of what I want to do. We should have such a strong desire to be together that I would not rather be anywhere else in the world than with my brothers and sisters in Christ. You want to have the kind of care that Paul talks about in this passage? Develop a desire to spend time with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Number two, if we're going to have the kind of care that Paul talks about in this passage, then we need to be proud of one another. And we need to rejoice in one another. You see that in verses 19 and 20. When Paul looks at the church at Thessalonica, they were the fruit, they were the result of his ministry. Paul could look at the church at Thessalonica and know that he made a difference on earth for Jesus. Notice how proud he was of them. Notice the joy that he had for them. In verse number 19, when he thought about their faithfulness to the Lord, it filled his heart with hope. It filled his heart with joy. He looks at this congregation to say, you are my crown, which is the idea of victory. He says, you are my boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming. Just like parents or maybe grandparents are so proud of their kids, Paul was proud of the church at Thessalonica. He was proud to be associated with them. He was going to be proud when Jesus Christ returned and granted them their final reward. He again emphasizes in verse 20, you are our glory and you are our joy. If we're going to have the kind of care that Paul talks about in this passage, then we need to be proud of one another and we need to rejoice in one another. We should be so proud to be members of the Lord's church. Don't you agree with that? We should be so proud 
to be a part of the congregation that meets here at Seven Oaks. And, and I'm not talking proud in a way that we're arrogant. I'm not talking proud in a way that we're looking down on other people. Because it's not really about what we've done, but it's about what Jesus has done in us. That's what Paul says in Romans 15, verses 17 and 18. He says, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Well, Paul, what's the reason that you have to be proud? Is it because you're so great and you're so faithful and you're so talented? Notice he says in 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ Jesus has accomplished through me. Paul says I'm proud, but it's not about me. It's about what Jesus has done for me. And the same thing should be true for us. Based on what Jesus has done in our lives, we should take great pride in one another, as well as the fact we should rejoice in one another. Paul rejoiced to see that the Thessalonians were living faithfully to God. He's not the only one who did that. When you look at the Apostle John in 3 John in verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. When we come into settings like this one, when we think about our brothers and sisters in Christ, does it fill our hearts with joy to see people who are walking in the truth. If we're going to care about one another in the way that this passage talks about, we need to be proud of one another and we need to rejoice in our relationships with one another. Number three, if we're going to have the kind of care that Paul talks about in this passage, then we're going to establish one another. We're going to encourage one another. That's the first three verses when you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We've emphasized this idea a few times as we've been walking through this study, Paul was concerned about the church at Thessalonica. Remember, these are young Christians. This is a young congregation. They've probably only been Christians now for about six months when Paul writes this letter to them. He's concerned that they're going to fall away from the Lord. He's concerned that they're going to fall into sin, that the tempter is going to take care of them, that the tempter is going to entrap them. And so what Paul does in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 1, he says, I just couldn't bear it any longer. The anxiety that I have about you, the concern that I have about your spirituality, your relationships with God, I couldn't bear it any longer. So notice what he does. He stays alone in Athens, which you can read about in Acts the 17th chapter, and sends in verse number 2, Timothy to the city of Thessalonica. Why is Paul sending Timothy to the city of Thessalonica. Notice there's two reasons that he gives in verse number 2. He says, first, Timothy is going to establish you in your faith. He's going to make sure that you're strong in your faith. That you're not going to crumble. That you're not going to be destroyed. The second reason, he's going to encourage, or depending on your translation, he's going to exhort you in your faith. Keep going. Keep growing in your relationships with the Lord. Continue to live faithfully to Him. It's not easy to be a Christian anywhere. But it especially wasn't easy to be a Christian in the city of Thessalonica. Paul emphasizes that in verse number 3. Because of the opposition that came from the Jews, Paul knew that they were going to experience suffering and affliction. Paul says, I sent Timothy to establish you and to encourage you so that you wouldn't be moved in those afflictions. So that your affliction and your suffering and your difficulty would not cause you to fall away from the Lord. If we're going to have the kind of care that Paul talks about in this passage, then we're going to be involved in establishing and encouraging one another. The founder of Weight Watchers 
was one time asked in an interview about how she was so successful in helping people to take control of their lives and to take control of their weight. She responded to that question by telling a story from her childhood. She said when she was a teenager, she was walking through the park one day. And she saw some mothers sitting on a park bench talking to one another, not really paying attention to their children. Their children were sitting on the swings waiting for somebody to push them. They weren't swinging because they didn't know how. They were sitting there waiting to be pushed. So she said, I'd give them a push. And you know what happens when you push a kid on a swing? Pretty soon he's pumping, doing it himself. That's my role in life. I'm there to give others a push. Isn't it true that sometimes as Christians we need a push? Isn't it true that especially in the midst of affliction and difficulty and suffering, we need other people to come alongside of us We need other people to establish us. We need other people to encourage us. That's what the body of Christ is all about. When I need a push, you're going to be there for me. When you need a push, I'm going to be there for you. To strengthen one another in our faith. To encourage one another in the faith. Keep going. Keep growing. Don't give up on Jesus. Number four, if we're going to have the kind of care that Paul talks about in this passage, we're going to have a willingness to suffer together. That's in chapter 3. In verse number 4, Paul, as he was preaching to the Thessalonians when he was there back in Acts chapter 17, about six months before he writes this letter, he says, we kept telling you. This was something they were doing consistently and continually. We kept telling you and warning you that we were to suffer affliction. Paul's not like some preachers that you might hear today in different religious groups who present the idea that if you become a Christian, everything in your life's going to be great. Become a Christian and your life's going to be a cakewalk and you're never going to go through anything hard. You're never going to go through anything difficult. That's not a message that Paul preached. Paul looked at the Christians in Thessalonica and said, you're going to suffer for this. This is going to be a hard road. This is going to be a difficult path for you to go down. And the Thessalonians were experiencing that. What Paul had warned them about had come true. They were starting to learn that lesson from the school of hard knocks. But once again, notice the wording of what Paul had warned them about. In chapter 3, in verse number 4, he says, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that you would suffer as individuals. And as an individual, you're going to go through a lot of pain, but just put on a brave face. And when you come to the assembly, pretend like everything's okay. When people ask you how you're doing, make sure that you say you're doing good. As you suffer, make sure you do it alone. As you suffer, make sure you do it in isolation. Is that what Paul says in chapter 3 and verse 4? Couldn't be farther from the message, could it? Paul says the message that we were warning you about is that we were to suffer affliction. Not that you're going to suffer as an individual and you just need to learn to deal with it on your own, but we're going to suffer affliction together. Why? Because we care about one another. If we're going to develop the kind of care that Paul talks about in this passage, then we're going to have a willingness to suffer together. It's no secret that as individuals, we go through suffering. We go through things that are difficult. We go through things that are hard. We go through things that are challenging. The beauty of being a part of the body of Christ is that you don't have to suffer alone. You don't have to go through that trial. You don't have to go through that difficulty. You don't have to hurt by yourself. What are we here for? 
Galatians 6 and verse 2, as we referenced earlier in this lesson, we're here to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're certainly here to rejoice with those who rejoice in Romans 12 and verse 15, but we also weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. When we suffer, we don't suffer as individuals. The beauty of the body of Christ is that we have the opportunity, even in our suffering, to do it together as a result of the great care and love that we have for one another. And then finally, number five, if we're going to develop this kind of care that's present in this passage, then we're going to check on one another. Once again, just like Paul said in verse number one, he says in verse number five that I could bear it no longer. Paul was concerned about them, concerned about their faith. He was afraid at the end of verse number 5 that the tempter had tempted them and his labor had been in vain. If you think back to the beginning of chapter 2, chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul talks about how his ministry was not in vain. But when you come to chapter 3 and verse 5, it seems that he was afraid that it might be. So what does he do? He sends Timothy... Paul was hindered from going back to Thessalonica, so he sends Timothy not just to establish them, not just to encourage them, but when you look at verse number 5, I sent to learn about your faith. Because Paul cared about them, he couldn't bear it any longer. He sent to learn about how they were doing. He was checking on them. If we're going to develop the kind of care that Paul talks about in this passage, then we're going to check on one another. Especially when we think about those within our family who are suffering. Who are going through difficulty. It doesn't really take a lot of time or effort, does it? Send a card. Send a text message. Make a phone call. Go for a short visit. Those things don't take a whole lot of time or a whole lot of effort on our part. But we don't even know the difference that it can make in somebody else's life. We don't even know the difference that it could make in somebody else's day. Perhaps we don't do this as we should. And maybe our problem is that we don't have the mindset of Paul. We don't get to the point where we just can't bear it any longer. That this person is going through suffering and and it hurts me. I just can't bear to think about it any longer. And so I'm going to reach out to them. To check on them. To see how they're doing. As Paul says in verse number 5, I'm even going to check on their faith. To see how their relationship with God is in the midst of the suffering that they're going through. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. It doesn't take a whole lot of effort on our part. But it can truly make a difference in somebody's day. It can make a difference in somebody's life. We don't do it because we have to. We do it because we care. I could not care more. What if every single Christian had that kind of attitude when they thought about their brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you think it would make a difference? If we're going to develop this kind of care, Paul talks about five ideas to help us do that. A desire to be together. Being proud of one another. Rejoicing in one another. Establishing and encouraging one another. Suffering alongside of one another. The willingness to check on one another. Those are five things that should be a part of the culture that we have here at Seven Oaks. If we look at that list and we realize maybe we're struggling in some of those areas as a congregation, you know the only way that we can change that? If we want to change the culture of our church family, we have to start with ourselves. We have to start on our own toes. You have to start with you and I have to start with me. Do you have some changes that you need to make tonight? 
You have something going on in your life that you'd like your church family to be praying about. You need encouragement tonight. We'd love to do that. And this is a perfect opportunity as together we stand and sing.